like foe. Black look like a revolution. Look like a family reunion in the park. Black look like it's a different world. Sound like a crawfish ball in New Orleans. Black folk joke around like Martin and got paintings from JJ in the living room. It sounds strong. Look like sacrifice. It'd be flowers blooming in the summertime. Black sound like old songs. Smell like good food. And it tastes like heart disease. But it feels like maize at Jazz Fest. Black sound like something that hurt, like a hard test. Black sound like skin, like something dark. It look like hair, yeah. Black sound like rough hair and good hair. Look like history, sound spiritual. Black sound like years, like working, like night. Black sound like money. Look like Walmart. Like corner stores, like cash register singing. Black sound like 400 years. Smell like Oprah. Impactful like Martin. Look like Cicely Tyson. Sing like Nina. Got an ass like Serena. Feel like broken homes in Section 8. Black smell like crack and collard greens. Sounds motivational. Feels like church. Look like big Sunday hats and ribbons. Smell like your mama. Eyes like the sun. Beautiful child. Sound like thick black swinging and sneaky uncles. Look like Tyler Perry making money. Sound like hating, feel frustrated, don't it? Like they don't get it. Like they won't ever get it, huh? Like push your personal feelings of racial injustice so far underneath the carpet that you trip over your own family history. <laughs> but I love me some black folk. I love the hair greens and the rental fees. The front row seats, the police, the projects, the mustard greens, being late, social security checks, government assistance, bougie black, looking good, bags of hair, fake press on nails, rat tail comb, stutton gold chain, gold teeth, black men and big feet. I love me some black folk. For they are the people that were made from the darkest parts of the sky.
morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the Back Porch Conjure. I am E5 Bayo. First of all, grab a seat, cup a squat, get a pillow, a chair, a blanket. Hell, sit right here next to me on the stoop. Get you something cold or drink, something hot, some coffee, some tea, some juice, some water. Hell, it's three o'clock somewhere. Get your drink on. <clears throat> I'm not here to judge. Real talk. First of all, today is Juneteenth. Respect. Growing up as a kid, right, my mama relocated and moved to New York. So every year, she'll go, like, it wasn't a holiday. But either she did it that weekend, if it fell, whatever time June, June 19th was on, if it was that weekend, Oh, we partied like rock stars. And if it was the week before, that weekend before NFL during the week, she a party. She And when I say party, I'm talking about she do everything for kids. Man, she'll go and get a blow-up pool. That damn slip and slide thing. We ain't have big yards then. We concrete jungle. But we'll be scraped up, sliding down, hold on, it's plastic, fucking our legs up, and we'll do it. One year, we fucked up and put green liquid and bleach on there. Man, everybody was itching. We didn't care. We had fun. She would pull out the old ice cream maker, and the bucket was green. And in between, you had this bar, and you had this little tin can, and you had to put that hot ice, <laughs> right? And you had to turn it. Man, you knew when it was getting done because the hard it was. We all try to test our strength. My pops and them would be back there with the band or be in the front of the house playing live music. Man, kids running up and down. I want to give you what my mama gave us. She'll put that blanket. You know, when you move, the moving trucks used to have them big-ass blankets, right? My mother had three of them. And put those big-ass blankets, put, put one in the front because we had... We had two sides. So we had one in the front, and my pops would bring out his drums, and Randy, God bless his dad, all these men are now deceased. They here bring out his guitar, the electric, and run the cord through the through the house. And, you know, you would have somebody out there, and then you had a mic. The mic. Somebody, the Freddie Hill or Piggy, I had a mic. Man, when I tell you, they'll start jamming. Now you got kids running all around. We ain't had no block uh, uh, permission. So we didn't block the block off. We just knew when the cars was coming. Psh, but people respected each other back then. They'd pull out the grills or whoever was cooking. They'd cook. And man, we'd have hot dogs and Franks. Then Mr. Softy West, talking West back then. So you know, this was back in the day, West and Junior. And. You'll have Wes and Junior come through selling the ice cream, man, and they vibing. Then you have the kids in the back, the bigger kids, um, turning that ice cream. And you'll have the mamas yelling, watch your brother. Uh-uh. We ain't go to the park. We was up and down the block. Then we'll pull out our bikes or our slingshots, zip guns. Man, we be running up and down, live music. It was everything. She'll have... Toys for the kids, all kinds of things. This happened all the way up until we had our kids. Samantha, Daquan, Isha, Didi, all of us. She'll go out and break the bank. 
When I say she'll have toys and candy and barbecue and ice cream, everything. Grill out there. My brother, man, grilling. She's still yelling that same old sentence. Y'all watch out for your little brothers in them now. Watch out for them cars. My pops would come out there and play. Even when the kids was growing up. Yeah, whatever friends that were still left around. Back then, we had Beverly and Ace. We had Deborah and all the Nelsons. We had everybody on the block. We had Belle and Ann and Honda, Pop Rooney, Miss Rooney, Joanne. Man, we had Crystal and John John. I know Stephanie, a brother Jerome. Man, we had a ball growing up on Juneteenth. My mother didn't totally because back then, you couldn't question the teachers or the education they gave you. Back then, it was a different time, but we still celebrated. Then when we got older, I remember when June 19th came around, and I said, y'all don't celebrate. I'm a grown-up now. I said, y'all don't celebrate. A lot of my friends was, what's that? I said, huh? I just thought it was all the way around the world, but it wasn't. That's why, no, my parents weren't perfect. They weren't even shit top tier. But they allowed us to know our history and who we were. See, people take my confidence as arrogance. And that's okay, because that's their perspective of me. But when my father told us, a man that knows his history knows who he is when he walk in the room. All those other things that people try to bait you in, like money and Fame and, you know, popularity. That shit won't buy you because you already know who you are. And that shit already comes with you because you know who you are. My pops made sure that when we walked in the room, we knew who we were. We weren't just Bobby and Billy's kids. We knew who we were as black people. We walked in our blackness as though a thousand Upon thousands walked with us. And I'm grateful for that. I am each and every day. I'm grateful for that. And I instill that into my grandkids as well. When you know who you are, when you walk in the room, all that shit don't, don't tempt you. Man, I had people used to tell me, hey, you know, I can get you, uh, I can give you this. Yo, if you do this, I'll give you this. And that shit, I can be down to my last penny. I'd be like, nah, man, it ain't worth it. I'm good. Nah. Ah, oh, man, you stupid. Call me what you want. And then days later, I see those same people riding in the back of a cop car or in the back of a hearse. And I have some friends go, why you didn't do it? Because of that. See, the ends doesn't justify the means. That money that you making or you offering might be the same money for my lawyer or my motherfucking funeral. Nah, I'm good. I'm good. See, when people start up with, all you got to do, nah, I'm good, player. <laughs> nah, all you got to do, I'm good. I never was a, a person that cra crawled or, or crumbled under peer pressure. That's why I tell people, you want to see me fold, catch me at the laundromat, because that's the only time you're going to catch me folding. Nah. You know, um, I remember my friend Terrence used to always tell people, everybody got a price. I say, yeah, but it ain't monetary. And I remember 
when people used to sell whatever they could just to look good for somebody else. And those somebody else really never gave a fuck about them. But my pops really taught us. And then I read this book, The Measure of a Man by Sidney Poitier. That book was amazing. It really did. It changed a lot of the things that I looked at. John Cornetti used to always tell us pride is for poor people. And then I went to Haiti and I saw that these people had pride. <laughs> and they were poor, but they had pride. And they had their honor and their character was, was exhilarating. So I say a lot of things people told me. They only knew or they shared because they had a small vision. They didn't go outside of their comfort zone. They didn't challenge themselves and really learn who they are or what they're capable of. They just settled for what was around them. And that's their choice. I'm not here to judge. Some people, like y'all have fear of failure. Some people have fear of success. They don't really want it. They block their own way. And some people... Don't want to know better or do better. Some people are just happy doing the fuck stuff. Some people really don't know another way. Right? But my pops taught us to see the world in all of its beauty. All of it. To see it in all of its beauty. Take advantage of every opportunity that's given to you. My grandfather and them travel. That's all they love to do. And then when they got older, they'll let you know, nah, my traveling day's over. And they had wonderful stories to tell and experiences. That's why my father would call himself the griot, the storyteller of the family. You know, my Uncle Nat, great storyteller. My Uncle Moses, like, they were the, the, the record keepers. The ones that recorded everything and who was who and who did what. Because it was passed on. My family on my father's side were the oracles. They spoke it as though it was as if it was today. You know, my mom and them, they were the dreamers. They were the ones, and they were the herbalists, believe it or not. They were the ones that would, whatever ailment you had, there was a herb for it. Shit. My mother had a cabinet. In her kitchen, from the ceiling to the floor, full of herbs. And always grew something. Always. Green thumb, for real. Stayed out working the, the earth. She was the one that used to tell us, if we ever get lost, if we ever get misguided, if we ever feel threatened or harmed, find some New Orleans dirt, some Louisiana dirt, and put your hand in it. And you'll remember. I used to wonder why she'd go down to New Orleans and come back with dirt. But she'd mix it with the dirt that she had in New York. She'd always say, you always take a little, home, bring a little home with you. And as I was a Yahoo, I remember, man, I was lost. I was in a dark place. I was. I was, I was being broken down and some of it was knocking me on my ass, man. 
I was ready to give up and throw in the towel. And this dude, Raul Chavez, Ibudu, he didn't know what he did for me. And it, to a point, he may still not understand. And he said, nah, my family's from New Orleans. He said, my father's down there. He said, I'm ready to go down there. And I'll bring you back some dirt. I wanted to cry in front of him, but I didn't. When I got back to that shelter, I cried like a baby. And I said, thank you, Barbara, to my mom. And when I saw him, he gave me this big bag of dirt. And I took it with me. I held on to that dirt. When I got to my daughter's house, I put, when she moved, I put some there. And then I kept it. I kept it. I kept it in my bag, in my suitcase. Wherever I went, that dirt came with me. Shelters everywhere. That dirt traveled with me. When I got to Far Rockway and I lived with my goddaughter, I put a little bit out. And then when I finally moved, it's right here in the kitchen on the altar and everywhere else. And I'm grateful. And I still have some left. And then when I went down there, I got me some. And some rocks and stuff. And I was forever grateful. Because no matter what, I knew that they walked with me. That was a confirmation. Because I know my mother was looking like, my baby need us. So knowing who you are and having faith. And your ancestors is beyond. So also, I remember this time, you know, I was doing a radio show. And they wanted me to read cards. I closed the shop and talking to people, I left my cards. Now prior to this, it was a vision. I'm talking about this vision was so real, right? And this is where your... Your vision, your faith, and not giving a fuck what people say or think. Because you always going to have critics, right? Excuse me. Mm. So, I had this vision. I was reading pennies. And when I tell you, like, they were throwing them, I wasn't throwing them. And I was writing it down and adding it up. And I was reading it. Pow, pow. And it was just a long line. And I was like, uh-uh, this sound like, you know, I was getting kind of nervous because I was like, nah, I don't want people to come at me thinking I'm doing some e stuff. And I, and I heard them say, we didn't give it to them, we gave it to you. And I kept on hearing them say, we didn't give it to them, we gave this to you. And I remember, right, when Tony Shango Gabosile, he said... You know, you're supposed to be a diviner. Like, that's your that's your calling. Like, you can divine with anything. And I was like, yeah, maybe, you know. And I didn't have belief in myself then. Then, I remember, uh, man, everybody used to be like, yo, you can divine. Like, yo, do that. That's your calling. Like, that's your calling. And I was like, okay, all right, all right. And I left my cards home. <laughs> and I had pennies and dime and some screws and bolts 
And I was, when they asked a question, I was throwing it, right? And I was reading it. I was reading all those people. And I never forget, the host of the radio show said, I heard a lot of ting, ting, ting. He was like, yo, what you, was I cheating? I said, nah, man. I said, they told me to call it soul readings. So he was like, oh, oh, what is that? What is that? So, and I will say this. I lied because of fear. I was like, nah, you know, it's something old. Like, people, yeah, yeah, that's true. I heard that. I heard that. And the people, when I would show people, I'd be like, nah, you know, it's something old. And they'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, I knew it. Yo, my grandmother used to do it. And I would look at those people and be like, yo, lying? The ancestors gave this to me. And out of fear of what people would think or, you know, how people, if it would come from me, nah, that shit ain't right. So I would say, nah, this came from somewhere else. Like, in a way, I wasn't lying because it did. It came through me in a vision. Right? And I remember being at an event and everybody was reading tarot cards. And I broke out the nine pennies. When I tell you people were sitting, I was sitting on the floor. People were looking at me. People were coming over there. One lady got a reading. She went back and got three or four of her friends. Like I had a line around the corner. Even the readers came and they was like, yo, what's that? I said, it's called soul readings. And they was like, what? What that mean? I said, I just give you that imprint of what your soul want to say. You know, the soul version of you. Oh, I heard it. I heard it. You know, I, I know a person that does that in California. People was just, I'm looking at them like, y'all are a bunch of fucking liars. But I didn't say nothing. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kept it moving. So then everywhere I would go, I would teach people another alternative. Because everywhere I went, and I remember how I got this vision. Everybody and their mother was doing tarot cards. And I was like, damn, don't anybody do anything else besides that? And I started teaching people. Now, I know everybody wasn't getting on it. Right? But they had something else under their belt. And that made me feel good. And then finally, one day, somebody was like, I was doing some readings at a, at a place in Queens. And somebody was like, yeah, I know that. I said, you don't know that. I said, because I, this is mine. I made this up. And he was like, what, for real? Oh, my God. Yeah. I said, I made this up. Not I, myself. But it came in a vision. Tell you how each one goes. Each number, how it falls, the picture that it gives, and it allows you to connect to your ego, your spirits, so they can divine, you know? And people were like, oh my God. Some people were nervous. Some people was like, yo, that is everything. Yo, you got to show me. And I did. But I remember on June 19th, when the day I did it, and that was the day that that fear fell away. And I would do it only when everybody and their mother was someplace doing tarot cards. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to leave the cards in the bag. Bow. Yo, you got nine pennies here. Throw it down. Oh, my God. Yeah. Not arrogant. When you're obedient and you're consistent. And you have faith in what you are and who you are. You don't worry about what people think. But I had to get to that place. Because it's not easy. I don't care what you say. It's not easy. See, criticism is cute when 
it's among people you don't know. Because you don't know them. Fuck y'all. But that shit hit different from people that you love, trust, and that you consider friends and family. Yeah, that kind of rip you apart a little bit. But when you get to that point <laughs> to say, I give zero fucks. You're going to talk about me anyway. Then you have reached freedom. Real talk. And when you look at those people that have the most horrible things to say, they ain't going away anyway. They just mad because you doing it. They don't want you to do it because they allowed somebody to stop them. So they passing it forward. Listen, we promote a lot of things and we don't get on board of nothing. But you know what we promote and we stay 10 toes in? Disrespecting and stopping other people from following their dreams. Man, we are, we are straightforward with that. We consistent with that because it's you. It's not what you do. It's who's doing it. And, man, we'll jump on that bandwagon. Fuck her. She'll do it. Let's all stop her. Let's all uh-uh, talk bad about her. And these will be people that you consider as friends and family and loved ones. But I guarantee if you would have told them that and gave them all the credit, oh, they'll love you to death. But you're always going to have some haters. Always. You're always going to have people that's not going to co-sign with what you're doing. You're always going to have those critics. You're always going to have them. Stop looking at them like they're the enemy. Who gives a fuck about these people at the end of the day? Really, they making you money when you think about it. They constantly there. Uh, Listen, your number one fan and the number one person that really supports you is the motherfucker that shouldn't be around you or that hates you because they're going to constantly go on your shit and see. And most people say, oh, I don't block people because I don't, I don't want to be. Well, I block you because I don't want you in my shit. We don't vibe. I don't hate you. I'm not going to stay here and do nothing bad to you. you. You're not relevant no more in my life. Your time has expired. Your application has been denied. We did not renew it this year. Go and find you something safe to do. And it's not a bad thing. But we have to learn. To silence those voices and keep going, keep going, keep moving, keep following your dreams. Those people, when you look at them and you really look at their lives, all you got to do is be silent. You will see everything. Majority of them in fucked up marriages, fucked up relationships. They don't love themselves. Their kids normally hate them, don't have respect for them. I mean, really, for real. For real, when you look at their lives, you'll be sitting there saying, damn, I would hate me too. I would. I would. Because you settled. You settled. You're not even consistent. You're not even really about that. You posing. I would hate me too because I'm real about this shit. I'm consistent. I'm grinding. I would hate me too. You right. I don't feel bad for you. I don't even feel happy for you. I don't feel nothing about you. You don't exist. You're, you're, you're not relevant. That will kill them more. And guess what they're going to do? Go harder every time. Talk about you. Say shit about you. But yo, look at them. And really, to be honest, say a prayer for them. Pray that they get some healing in their life and keep it moving. That's it. That's all you can offer people like that. Real talk. Because they're trying to convince the world and everyone around them that they okay. And in reality, they not. 
I'm in therapy, like active therapy, because it was always some shit I had to deal with. Listen, when you hustle and you out there in those streets, you see some shit that sometimes you can't come back from. You'll learn to be angry. You'll learn, you man, you'll learn all kinds of shit. So if you want to heal, you got to go through all that. And it's work. I was married twice. Twice I was married. One of my marriages I walked away from. I got to be happy first. I'm not, you know, Craig had it all. He had the house. He had everything. Ah, it doesn't matter. Does not matter. I'm not happy. So I'm out. I'm out. Yo, I'm not staying nowhere where I'm not happy. I don't give a fuck who you are. No. But you will have these people. That will stay in endless marriages. You will have these people that'll be with these man. Let me tell y'all. Ain't no way in hell I'ma sleep with the enemy. Ain't no way in hell I'ma sit down and break bread with you. Nah. Mm mm. My father and mother. They stayed together, but the one thing they didn't do was disrespect each other. You know. If my father had a problem, he'd go to my mother. If my mother had a problem, she'd go to him. Her friends? Nah. Mm-mm. First of all, I remember, right? <laughs> I was in the car with my yayi, my god sister, and her daughter. Never forget this shit. And my god sister was telling her about her marriage. So I tapped her. I said, yo, don't do that. She was like, what? I said, don't do that. So I told my yayi, I said, yo, real talk. We can't tell you about our marriage, about your marriage. We can't. We can't. We can't give you no advice. We can't. And she was like, no, why God do it? I said, because I was married and I, I'm divorced. I, I can tell you how to end a marriage. She ain't never been married. So us telling you something, don't follow us. Because we failed in that, in that realm right there. Go and find you either a therapy, a, a marriage therapist, counselor, or find you some people that have been married for some long time, so whatever they overcame, and they now healed with each other. But us right here, so the girl got kind of offended, my God, sister. And I was like, yo, where's the lie, though, ma? Like, you can't tell her how to do a marriage. You've never been married. You don't even know what, what the fuck. You, you got to see this shit on video. You don't know what they telling you. Nah, when you go and stand before either a pastor or a judge, nah, ma, you can't do that. That's, that's staying your lane. That's not our lane. So when I posted something about it, you know, people were like, oh, the coach is always quiet through the game, and I can give my opinion to people. And none of, everybody that answered, none of them were married. I said, and I've proved my point. How? Oh, but I'm coaching the team. My, how? How can you tell me anything if you've never been there? Like, I know people used to tell me how to run a business. How many businesses have you had? None. How you going to tell me anything? Oh, because, mm, 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 mm. No, 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 no. You never ran the company. You never had a business. Sit down. Sit down. It's not your realm. Not your realm. Just like you have people, oh, my God. I can tell you about it, having a kid. You, how many kids you got? Nine. Shut up. 
Shut up. The same way for a man to tell me about how I menstruate or how my body reacts. No, player. No, you can't do that. And people, I know y'all may say, we can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. See, this is why we have the problem. Everybody wants to be in everything. And some things you're not certified for. This ain't the message. This is a side note. But some things you're not certified for. Some things you are not licensed to be in. Some things is not your business. But we want to jump and put our thumb in everything. And then we wonder when our shit break or it don't work or something happened. Now we want to know why. Because it's not your lane. And I love that part. That's why I stay in my lane. When people go, oh my God, if it's a friend and they're doing something, I'm going to celebrate them and then I'm out. I'm not going to stay. But if it's something just like, oh, come on, you can be a part. Boo. I never follow the crowd. I don't. I can't. My, my mentality is we're not following this. Because first of all, who we following? Where we going? Uh-uh, is there going to be snacks on this ride? Is, do we get a bathroom break? See, I got fucking questions. You ain't just going to lead me into hell. You know how many people I know that got land and they dead? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh-uh. Mm -mm. That's why I don't even follow clicks. Listen, growing up, you had Southside 17. I mean, you had all these gangs and stuff, right? These people. And they used to be like, oh, you got to get a t-shirt. You got to do that. No, nah, I ain't doing that. I, I may not want to wear red today. I might not want to wear yellow. No, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I think outside the box. Nah, I'm good. And that's, you know, I remember having conversations with somebody. was like, oh, no, no, no. Friends I used to support, you know, and loyalty, that blind loyalty. We all know that. But at the end, when it was something that was like, nah, man, when it's dealing with my freedom, nah, y'all go ahead. I ain't doing that. I don't fold under peer pressure. I never did. Anything I did, it was because something I wanted to do. Not because, yo, you said it or it's the end thing. Nah, fuck that. that that's something that was never a part of me. But I'm grateful, like I said, for my pops and my moms to make sure you know who you are when you're walking through the door. And to have faith in you. You know what I'm saying? My mom's, when she used to tell people and, and decipher their dreams, I used to sit there like a kid in a candy store, for real, like, so amazed. And, you know, I was, like, we'd sitting there listening and watching. Like, it was, it was amazing to me. And how she could talk to anyone. Give a fuck who it was. She could talk to anyone. I'm telling you. When my mom died, man, it was about 30-something homeless people. The pastor called and said, hey, you know, can y'all come over here? We was like, yeah, pastor, what's up? And we got there, and it was Paul and all of them, all the homeless dudes. And they was like, we waiting for our girl to arrive. He said, yeah, the body ain't even here. And, you know, are they dangerous? I said, nah, man, my mom's fed all of them and she took care of them. That's why that movie, A Family That Prays, where the mother takes care of the homeless guy and stuff, yeah, my moms would take care of all people. She didn't let no one walk past her door or her house without them having a plate, something to eat, maybe a bath. She looked out for everybody. And I remember I was in Atlanta, and we was in a, a hotel, right, extended stay. 
I had everybody in there until we figured out, you know, what kind of apartment we was going to get. And it was cold, and I had all of the homeless people there. And my son walked in, and he was like, you know you're not your mother, right? And I said, yo, they need a place. He was like, just like your mother. And it was an honor, you know? And these dudes, whether I go to Atlanta or not, man, they'll hit me up. They always find a way. They call me Big Baby. Big Baby, what you doing? I'd be like, yo, I'm good. I'm in New York. When you coming down? I'll be down. And all of them had names. Man, all of them had names. Man. And they were cool. They were cool when I think of them. Copper John, Ebay. Man, these cats, they were, I, I was grateful. I was grateful, man, to say I sat amongst them and get all of their knowledge and their wisdom, the prophet, man, the ancient, the ancient, everybody thought he couldn't talk. Everybody thought he couldn't talk, the ancient. They used to call him the ancient one. People made up stories and said he was over in the wars and he didn't know he was still over there living in the, in the jungles and then he came. He wore a trench coat, a t-shirt, shorts, and sandals. That was it. That was it. Didn't smell. He wasn't stink. That was it. So, and he'll just look, observe everything. Everybody thought he was mute. And I remember we was in the park over in Amen Park. And they was doing capoeira. This nigga started doing capoeira. And I'm looking like, ain't it? And he said... It's always better to be silent. Nigga, you could talk? <laughs> I was so shocked. And he would come by the shop. I'd be like, you good, ancient? And he'd shake his head, yeah. And I remember, I was like, yo, I didn't even know you could talk. He said, we don't have nothing to say. Don't say nothing. He said, but yeah, I speak well. I was shocked that the ancient one talked. I didn't tell anybody because... He spoke to me and Prophet, and that was it. Prophet started laughing. Prophet was like, yo, this nigga talk. <laughs> he was like, he talk. He said, ancient talk. He said, but he don't got nothing to say. He don't say nothing. Ancient would be sitting around. People be talking, everything. Ancient just sit there. Won't say anything. Man, you had so many people I met. And their stories. You know, Uncle Ruckus, Roy. Ancient, man, all of them, all of them, Copper John, um, and all of them were elders. I was a baby, damn near looking at these. And none of them were like, okay, she's she's a woman, we could take advantage of her. None of that, none of that. Baby sis, you good? Yeah. You need anything? Nah, man, you need anything? Nah, I'm good. Just came to check on you. They open the door to the shop and be like, good? Yeah. Be like, okay. And they'd keep it going. I used to get off at night. And sometimes I'd walk. And I'd walk through the park, right? Let me tell you. Or I'd walk down to the train. And, you know, you're walking past. And it was a, a water plant, right? And an old abandoned, like, cathedral church thing. And it was crazy because people used to be like, yo, you shouldn't walk down there. Why? Half of the homeless people living there. 
And they'll either see me walking by, they'll be like, Big Baby, you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, all right. Or they'll just walk behind me and be like, yo, we're going to walk with you. Oh, okay. I'll be like, yo, y'all need anything? Uncle Ruckus would be like, yeah, buy me a bill. Here go $3. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to walk to you to the train. I'll be like, okay. And if they find martyr cards and they'll check it, I'll be like, yo, how much you want for it? I don't want nothing for it, man. Here. So you won't have to walk down and get your ass on the bus, Big Baby. Like, they looked out for me. Knowing they didn't have to. And they were homeless. That's when I found out that when they told me, homeless is a state of mind. We misplaced. And really, at this point, we don't even care. Because <laughs> we still live in our best life. Man, they didn't stink. They always had some cool-ass gear on. And they party like rock stars. You know? But they shared their stories with me on how they got there. See, that's Juneteenth, sharing stories and appreciating and let you know that you got to change the narrative and the way you're thinking and how you view things. We've always been free. Mentally, physically, the change were poverty, public assistance, projects. That's our slavery. That's our, that's our chains. Drugs, addiction comparison, social media, <laughs> those are our chains. But today, we honor those that brave the way so we can take advantage of every opportunity that's here in front of us. I don't celebrate 4th of July year. It gives us a reason to pop uh, firecrackers. And I don't do barbecue. So, you know, I, I don't know why. But I know after I got initiated, the smell of barbecue and just the smell of sauce, barbecue sauce, sickens me. I don't even know why. For real. It doesn't say anything in my diet, but it just sickens me. Like, yo, I can't barbecue sauce. And I remember, like, afterwards, they had some barbecue and that shit gave me a bad taste in my mouth. And I was like, yo, I can't stand barbecue. I was like, nah, I don't know why, but... Nah, I don't I don't go to barbecues. I don't. If it's something that you're doing, like an event, like I said, I'll go and support. But I didn't eat before I already came. Trust me, I'm not. I, I don't even like the smell of the fire burning in the barbecue, for real. And, you know, people be like, oh, my God. Like, I don't eat pizza. Like, they be like, oh, my God, you're not. No, I eat watermelon. So, okay. I love mayonnaise. Now, my grandson, he doesn't eat mayonnaise. But I love mayonnaise. I put mayonnaise on everything. Me and my brother Horse, he by a God bless the day. We like that. We put mayonnaise on everything. You know, mayonnaise got to go on everything. I prefer mayonnaise before I prefer ketchup. I prefer mustard before I prefer ketchup. Yeah, if it's not mixed in, I'm not going to eat ketchup plain. Mm -mm. That shit would drive me crazy. For real. And I don't even know why. I'm like, wow. But... I used to back in the day. I used to. I used to love barbecue. I worked in a barbecue restaurant. I used to love barbecue. Some barbecue. What? Now? Don't cook shit on no grill for me. I'm good. Mm -mm. I don't even like that char taste. Nah, I'm good. I'm good. But anyway. Oh, and another thing. Let me tell y'all, right? I don't know if y'all saw the movie, but I love this movie. First of all, I love John Wick. Right. Let me just let y'all know I am a true fan of John Wick and I don't want to give a spoiler alert or anything. So I'm not going to talk about the four 
part four. But I will say this. John Wick, to me, is what an Aries is. Real talk. Like, whenever I see John Wick, that's an Aries. And yes, it is a character I know. Keanu Reeves and all that. So don't get it twisted, right? I don't have a problem with reality and deciphering and knowing. But I, I love the energy that surrounds the character of John Wick. Now, I love it because I had to go back. After seeing four, I had to go back to see one. To remember how it started. And I was like, wow. So I'm going to share the message that I got. Remember, John Wick started where he had lost his wife, right, from cancer. He had retired from whatever mafia, hitman, killer type, whatever it was, he retired. They gave him a task to do, and that nigga carried it out so he don't have to be bothered. He cemented, buried, put over, covered it, his past. And said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm leaving it alone, right? And he's living his life, enjoying his wife, trying to mourn after she died. And here goes some young son. The very dude he did the task for to say, yo, I'm done. I'm out. Y'all got it. Instead of him sharing with his son history, knowledge, past. See, when you don't share that, kids don't, kids repeat that shit. So, he gets a package and his wife had made sure he got it. After she died, a dog, a little dog, to say, I know I don't want you to be alone, but here, you need somebody to love. And he's chilling. Break out his car, he bonding with the puppy, and he's chilling. And here comes some little young ass, snot nose. Oh, I like the car. How much? And he spoke in his language. Let him know. I know who you are. You know, like... I, we the same, right? But I get it. And this little motherfucker go in there and rob him for the car and kills the dog. Then takes the car to the chop shop. Shout out to John Leguizamo for playing the shit out of that part. He comes into his shop. <laughs> and mind you, this young dude, his father is big time comes in the shop and John Leguizamo goes, where you get this car from? He said, what? He said, like in other words, like you work for us, don't ask questions. John Leguizamo punched the shit out of him. He said, my father won't be happy. He said, oh yeah, he will. So he go home, tell his pops. He smacked me. His father gets on and said, hey, I heard you hit my son. He said, yeah, and I'll do it again. Just paraphrasing, right? Because I ain't in the movie. He said, well, why did you do it? He said, because he stole John Wick's car and killed his dog. The father said, oh. Oh. And hung up. It was nothing else to be said. He sees his son and tells his son, you are stupid because he's killing you. Like, there's nothing in between. He is killing you. I can't save you. I can try, but he's going to kill you. He said, he is the man. He, his son said, who is he, a nobody? The booger man? 
He said, no, he's the one we call to kill the boogerman. I said, yo, he was happy in his own space, minding his own business. Now, we can look at it from another perspective and say, he could have ignored it, took his losses and leave. But that wasn't his character. And believe it or not, he had some people that was loyal to him, and he was loyal to them. He made sure whoever was in his circle, he took care of, because they took care of him. And I love the part where Winston and him, they had a strange friendship. But Winston was that conscience, that truth, that friend that I'm going to tell you, what it is. So I'm going to get paid for it. Trust me, I ain't doing this shit for free. I'm going to get paid. It's something in the deal for me. But I ain't got time to lie to you. I'm going to keep it real. And he had some friends that were shasty. But he knew all of them. Now, my favorite one, yeah, I'm a little biased, was the king. Right? That was my man. And he made sure he took care of it all. And there was a part of the scene where they was talking about death. And each one was talking about what they wanted on their tombstone. John Wick said, loving husband. Because he was. In his mind, in, his, in everything. He felt it. And when I tell you he knew what pain was, he knew what the comeback was, and he didn't have a lot of, of conversations he didn't have a lot of, of um, talking. He didn't brag. He just did what he did and left. They had a few quotes in there that I just love, and you know, in all the John Wick movies. One is, a good death only comes after a good life. Another one is, fools talk, cowards are silent, and wise men listen. Let me say that again. Fools talk. Cowards are silent, <clears throat> excuse me, and a wise man listening. <clears throat> Another one is killing a man can turn him into a martyr. Letting him live tells the world he is a coward or a turncoat. How you do anything is how you do everything. A man's impatient should never exceed his worth. This one was the keeper. There are three kinds of men. One who will kill for something. One who will die for something. And one who has something to live for. He said, but John Wick has neither of these things. He is just a ghost in search of a graveyard. That shit hit me like, wow. He didn't have anything to die for. He didn't have anything to kill for. And he didn't have nothing to live for. So he was a threat beyond because he wasn't attached to anything. Anything he loved or had loved, which was his wife, she was dead. The puppy that gave him, and he told him, this gave me a sense to, to heal my mourning. Y'all took that. So they created him. One act, one horrible traumatic act created that monster. I'm not as monstrous as that. 
But I'm going to tell y'all. The energy that is around that, nah, I'm not a beast. But I understood. Because when I first stepped into the spiritual community and the spiritual journey and all of that, I was so happy and just happy and all of that. And then that one small traumatic act. When those women were raped and the community turned on me. Turned on me. Talked me out. The people that I assumed were my friends was having secret meetings and groups to end me making money and to blackball me and shame me. I had people that were putting false rumors and narratives out about me like, oh, she knew she was there. Uh. And those people were dogging me the fuck out. And I became a beast where I showed up. I did not move. I did not. Every day I showed up. And every day they was looking at my cuckoo ass like, why is she here? Why she she just didn't turn around and leave? Why is she here? Because they saw something in me that I didn't see. They wanted to stop that process. And let me tell y'all this. Like I said, I'm not arrogant. But I want to share my experience. I went to go get a reading. i never forget from Leo, the Oba, up in the Bronx. And he said, do you know how you were born? And I said, no. He said, you have a like a, a birthmark, a mark on your body that's shaped like a, a lightning bolt. I said, yeah, on my stomach, over my navel. I said, yeah. He said, because Shango marked you, Gabo Sile. I said, what? Excuse me? He said... The witches didn't want you to be born because you were bringing goodness in the world. He said, and Shango whispered in your mother's ear and gave her the remedy so you can be born. He said, remember that. And I remember when my aunts and them and all of them would tell me the story that my mother was hemorrhaging when I was born, you know, and they thought that she was going to lose me. Like she was, when she was pregnant with me, they thought she was going to lose me. But, she, you know, whatever happened, I'm here. And I used to laugh and be like, my birthmark is for cheese. And she would laugh. And I remember our house being on fire. 11313 160th Street. My father was laying in the bed. Fire was all around him because he was smoking in bed. For real. Um, and um, the wires, too, was faulty in the wall. So it was two fires. But the original started from the... Uh, wires in the wall and then my pops went to sleep with the cigarette burning and it hit the, the mattress and um, he was covered right didn't get burned and I was in the room with him didn't get burned my mother walked through like it was like she was the fireman put us all in the sheet and lowered us down my father just jumped off the roof and landed in the grass it wasn't, we, our house wasn't big, big, but it was big to us when we was kids. But he landed grass. After a while, we started learning to jump off the roof when we was kids. Um, growing up, um, when my mother would have dreams and tell me to be careful of the elevators and, you know, fires just down in blocks and don't be nowhere where candles was lit. And I listened. I did. At first, I used to think she was crazy, but I listened. 
but I'm not mad because I will show up each and every time. And I want to play this for y'all when it is time um, because I want y'all to hear this. I love Jill Scott's rendition of the National Anthem, and I want y'all to hear it. And also, catch me tonight so we can finish these conversations on Instagram, Get Mug Monday, you know? But I appreciate y'all, and thank y'all. Thank you for just being a part and supporting of my podcast, as well as, you know, my lives and all of that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I appreciate each and every one of you. But before I leave, I want y'all to hear Jill Scott's rendition of this. This is not 